Hello and welcome to another episode of our podcast from the Blue Earth Summit, a movement and community driving positive action for our natural world. In this series, we'll bring you some of the highlight talks and conversations from our first summit in Bristol in October 2021. In this episode, are you a creator or a destroyer? In the journey to sustainability, there needs to be a shift in culture. And to create this shift, we need to begin considering how we can use materials of the past as efficient materials of the future. By using energy from destruction, we can open the door to new avenues. Modern, environment-driven organisations intend to lead the way with a revolutionary new ideology, an ideology that regenerative business practices should be the new norm. From a biodegradable bubble wrap substitute to eco-friendly iced coffee production, new outlooks on sustainability mean traditional systems are to become a thing of the past. It's all about thinking outside of the box and with the intention to produce in a purely circular way. In this panel, Lucy Siegel was joined by Tom Kay, founder of sustainable fashion brand Finisterre, Sam Bokes, co-founder of FlexiHex, creators of Eco Packaging, Jim Cregan, founder of Jimmy's Iced Coffee, Emma Foster-Gearing from sustainable footwear brand Vivo Barefoot, and Aurelia Figueroa, head of sustainability at Breitling Watches. I have a really clear question to ask you. Emma, are you a creator or a destroyer? I knew you were going to ask me that question and I don't know how to answer that but I think Tom might know actually because he knows why Cressy okay you can offset your question very nice okay do I get one back yeah maybe um, yeah so I think um, obviously Sue is seeing the question um, for the for the panel and uh I suppose I've, I've spent uh, 20, nearly 20 years of my life now um, building a brand, creating a business that was really about creating a better way of making products, uh, creating a better uh, culture, a better team, being a better business, being B Corp, being uh, sustainable, innovative whenever we can do. Uh, and you know, I've done that for quite a long time, and, uh, but it still feels like we're just starting every single day. Um, and we're quite honest that we're on a journey uh, because ultimately still what we are creating um, is causing damage. It is causing, it is problematic. Uh, it isn't fully regenerative. It isn't fully circular. Uh, but we work, you know, the team and myself work very hard, hard every day to, to mitigate that. So we're on this kind of exciting, uh, affecting change journey. Uh, and that's originally why I suppose I started from this deck. So I saw there's a gap and where I want to affect change. But still uh we are not perfect in terms of what we do from business point of view and uh we have a negative effect on the planet Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay we're very honest of you um is there any um incidents where you have said we are not running this line or we're not going to make that garment because we we it's not conscionable and we just can't find a way of doing it the way i want to do it uh, yeah, I mean, many examples in, in the past, uh, less so now because there's more alternatives now. Uh, but, you know, in the old days when it was really hard to get recycled fabrics, you know, you couldn't get more than uh, 2,000 yards in a meter. Or, you know, that was really, and that was, that's a big amount of fabric. Um, and when there was a debate whether, you know, you have these, you know, if you're setting yourself out to uh, sort of business like Finisterre is, we, you know, we are... Um, trying to affect change, do things in the right way, you do have this reconciliation between growing, uh, growing in the right way and making these decisions and quite a lot of them uh, are still unknown um, so for instance if you take uh, nylon which is a really hard wearing fabric so you build a product that lasts as long as possible from nylon but it's a really horrible uh, fabric to make and it's a really horrible one to break down, uh, then you have recycled nylon, repurposed nylon uh, that maybe doesn't last as long 
uh, but it's made from repurposed, uh, you know, sourced like discarded fishing nets or office carpet tiles, um, and you can break it down. So you're left with this, these kind of decisions all the time. So we're constantly, we constantly, constantly um, kind of questioning, challenging, looking what has gone before. How can we do better? It's, it's tough with gar garments and is fibers is really tough yeah it's really tough really and tough. you know it's there's data points there's carbon you know just a carbon map of the whole business and um some things that we were making uh you know wool has a really big carbon footprint that was quite surprised us and so you know you know but it's natural fiber uh yeah. and so you know there's all these kind of conflicting uh carbon uh, footprints not everything anyway let's not yeah so you think about what question you're going to ask emma so i'm going to gamify this whole thing don't worry um uh, aurelia let's move on to you Creator or destroyer? I'm going to hedge here, Lucy. I'm going to stir the pot a little bit, and I'm going to say, yeah, reference Schumpeter as a creative destruction, and really using the energy of destruction to create something new. And I think that that's a really exciting thing that we get to do at Brightling. I mean, we're here, uh, a brand since 1884. So we, we have quite a history behind us, and we really now have a chance to do something new and to create a new paradigm. So I guess I'm a bit inspired by Bertrand's talk right now, um, really destroying old paradigms and creating new paradigms, which is, I think, the, the challenge that we have to do. So uh, taking on the inspiration of, of the panelists here and everything that they're working on, uh, you know, at, on our end, really redesigning packaging, rethinking what packaging is. When you purchase a, a watch, you get a box about this big uh, that comes with it that you may put under your bed or in a closet or in the cellar or who knows where it is and then let it sit there for quite some time and these boxes are made out of heavy wood who knows how the wood has been harvested it may be made out of other materials that really have a heavy carbon footprint attached with them. So it may seem like a really small innovation and in the bigger scope of things yes of course it is but for our industry where every time when you go in, you're coming out with this very heavy duty packaging. It was actually revolutionary to rethink packaging, to downsize it, and to then what, what was done as well is to reconsider what are the materials in it. And in our case, it's upcycled PET bottles. Approximately 19, uh, I now know, are included in every box. So it's a small contribution that we can make. We try to do everything that we can within our sphere of influence. So this is, this is a creative destruction. So dear Schumpeter is in the room. Yes, and if you do have a Breitling watch and a box, you should keep it in a safe because I just looked up the price of them. So that's what, I would, that's what I would do. Um, Sam, you know a thing or two about materials and packaging. Talk to us, creation or destruction? Yeah, perfect. Um, well, we have actually developed a, a packaging product um, which is effectively a replacement for bubble wrap but made of paper and expands around products Create, um, the product itself is super low volume, but um, is super protective, but also biodegrades. And um, yeah, so you can sort of, it's home compostable. But it's an in interesting question around this sort of creator. So yes, background in design, the product itself is innovative. We have IP on it. But ultimately, we are a business which is creating um, another product. So we are still using materials and resources. And so... We need to be constantly thinking and being very um, clever with the way we use it and constantly keeping ourselves in check. We're replacing, you know, yes, bubble wrap is a material which is incredibly difficult to recycle. Um, 
and it, it, it inevitably usually ends up in, in, in landfill and we have a paper product which is we're doing exactly the same kind of protective um, uh, kind of yeah same protective qualities as bubble wrap but it's and, and used um, 100% recycled content as well but at the same time it's still a material so we need to say constantly be evaluating how we, what we look at. How long did it take to develop your product? Because, you know, obviously bubble wrap, one of the reasons people use it in such vast quantities is because it stops things from breaking, which would be destruction in, mm. in, in and of itself. And to replace that or bring something out, which he says does the same job, it, it is a quite a heart-stopping moment because it really has to work. How long did it take you to develop it and trial it and all of that? Yeah, I mean, it was a fascinating project. I've got 15, uh, um, 15 years design experience. I ran a, ran a business um, with my brother in, in the design field, product and interior design. And now we both run FlexiHex and have a brilliant team um, around us who are kind of building the business. Um, but it, it probably took about six to eight months to kind of like develop the products and a huge amount of kind of like prototyping and sending products. Initially, we developed it actually for surfboards, again, off a very poor experience of buying a surfboard online, arriving in reams and reams of bubble wrap and thought there must be, for an £800 product, there must be a better solution like, you know, watches that, you know, a, a carefully considered packaging solution, which improves a kind of like consumer opening experience. Um, so in answer to your question, it, it took a long time. It took a lot of prototyping. Um, but at the same, at the same time, um, we were managed to kind of move quite quickly because we we're quite agile, a very, you know, startup business where we were able, able to sort of learn quickly and sort of resolve issues as we went to, to finalize the product. Okay. Thank you very much. Jim. Hello. Um, so I think it's probably worth just explaining. Well, we started as a creator, um, so I discovered iced coffee on a road trip around Oz and fell in love with it. And I came back home and was kind of flabbergasted by the offering that the UK supermarkets had to offer. So I just thought, then this is back in 2010, I just thought we could do a more awesome version. It wasn't a more ethical version or a more sustainable version. It was just a more awesome one because that's what I wanted at the time. So we did that and we launched into a kind of like a Tetra Pak style carton and and we sourced our ingredients and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, from day one, people are like, so where does your coffee come from? And where's your milk from? And what's this packaging about? And you suddenly go, oh, wow, I'm not just on a journey to make awesome iced coffee. I've actually, we've, we've already got to start stepping up to the plate. So we've been on a, we've been on a 10 year journey um, working with lots of different suppliers and people to essentially deliver the best product that we can possibly deliver. Um, and I think it, it was about nine months ago that we actually managed to find a really, really, this really decent packaging, packaging solution. Um, we were in these Tetra Pak cartons, as I said, with these kind of like plastic lids. And uh, just last year alone, we've saved uh, like 9 million lids just from being made that are plastic. Um, Does that was, feel good? Yeah, it feels really good. Because I, I mean, I was at, we live in Bournemouth and I was on the Jurassic Coast the other day with my family and I actually found a lid. It could have been ours. It could have been someone else's. But I'm happy to say it was ours. And you kind of go, well, that's a bit crap because um, it's a really, really beautiful part of the world. And I, and I looked at it and I just thought this is just we're not in business to be doing this kind of thing. We need to we need to change this. So we went on a three year mission with our uh, operations director, a guy called Luke, who's just superior. And um, he managed to live to deliver this, which is a single ingredient aluminium product, which is so much better for 
for everyone to, to be able to recycle. So, and there's a hundred other things like Tom is talking about being a B Corp company. We've submitted ours. So we've got to wait about eight months before we can get that through. So there's loads of little hurdles that we're jumping through to make it work. And um, yeah, we feel like we're always, you're, you're, you're always getting there. But once you've got there, there's something just around the corner that needs addressing. So Emma, I think, you know, we, you, we need you to answer the question now, unless Tom's come up with a better one. But um, so, you know, in terms of your product, um, you really are doing everything to take any impact out, aren't you? I mean, it's like the, the, the latest shoe that, that comes from Vivo Barefoot is, you know, got so many different ethical, ticks so many different ethical boxes. So I'm just suggesting you might feel you're on the creator side or the destroyer side. I don't know. The footwear industry is very, very difficult, isn't it? Yeah, I'd honestly say no. <laughs> um, and I don't think that our founders would think that our shoe could even get a slight sustainability badge, if I'm honest with you. Um, we've moved in a slightly different direction to some other footwear brands or even fashion brands in that we aren't really looking at carbon and we could go into detail on that if you feel like it after. Um, we aren't really looking at materials anymore. Um, we were founded by seven generation clerks, um, legacy. They're extremely humble, which is why I always get rolled out for these things and they don't. Um, but basically they are in the business of changing the way we do business. And they are, they believe strongly that it starts with our feet. So I could rattle off a whole lot of statistics around how important it is that our feet are grounded to the ground, how important that is for our personal health, but also for the planetary health. Um, when I joined a couple of years ago, I said, sustainability is crap. It's all bullshit. Stop it. Let's just focus on what John Elkington, John Elkington calls like, you know, really fundamental industry shifting innovation um, and focus on regeneration. Let's stop talking about recycled PET, just causes microfibers, toxic chemical pollution. We can't trace the supply chains back in Asia. No one's going there anymore. We can't guarantee anything ethically. Certificates are forged. They're all bullshit. Carbon footprints are based on crappy data. Let's stop doing that. Let's change the way we do business. Let's make regenerative business the norm. Um, ironically, Clark's was going into administration at the same time we started this journey. Um, and so their family legacy was dying at the same time Vivo's was thriving, um, which was really, really interesting. Um, and so we're looking after our people, we're looking after planet, and we truly believe that just by wearing barefoot shoes, you are regenerating your health, you are restoring your body's natural movement and your circulatory and nervous systems and sensory feedback systems the way that they were designed by nature. And so therefore you are being in nature and you are learning to love it, you want to protect it, and you'll fight harder for it. And we're doing everything we can as a business to fight in that direction. But we won't be um, doing kind of small little kind of greenwashy changes. It'll be big sh system, system shifting movements. You want to destroy the previous system, essentially. Pretty much. Yeah. Yep. Which is, you know, the kind of bold as you consider the legacy and all the rest of it. But yeah. Funnily enough, we've got a few uh, heroes part of that movement in the crowd today that are all joining us on that too. <laughs> what does that mean? We find that when we talk like this and we yeah. set the intentions out like this, although we can't show it up immediately, yeah. that it, it, it ignites fire in people that are fed up, fed up with the lies, fed up with being told that, you know, just mildly better is going to solve all of our big crises around us at the moment, whether it's the health crisis we're in or the environmental crisis we're in. We're about talking a big game, being authentic, acknowledging the problems, putting them out there. I mean, this event, wouldn't it be wonderful if we all came here and said, I'm struggling with this, this product innovation, this business decision, it sucks. Can you help me? 
Like, wouldn't it be amazing that we did that at these events so we could actually work together to solve them? That's what we're in the business of doing. You don't think that's happened today? It might, it might have done. I don't know. I mean, you're pretty familiar with the Sustainable Apparel Coalition. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you think that's having much change? <laughs> no. Exactly. <laughs> no, I don't, because I think it's the methodology is completely flawed in that particular case, um, which I'm happy to send the record because I've written it down. So there we are. Um, okay, thank you for that. So, so you are essentially um, in a in a kind of tear it down, let's rebuild it, but you have to rebuild something, and you have to have checks and balances in that process, and you are still making something. So there's still going to be the same the same compromises. How do you know you're not going to get back into that cycle? Yeah, for sure. I think that comes back to your first question. Are you a creator or are you a destroyer? Because I think you can only really solve these problems if you create space for people to come forward to solve those problems. So the more we greenwash, the more we tell people we're amazing in our impact reports, all this stuff, the more we IP genuine solutions to our crisis problems, IP materials that... We know can fix genuine health and ecological problems. We aren't creating space for that evolution. So I think the big thing for us, and we're doing it inside the business as well as out, is trying to really get there and say, let's create the space to have those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we did the, I don't want to refer back to panels that I've previously done on this stage because it all gets a bit like uh, weird. But in the Greenwash panel, um, Stefan, who's an academic um, uh, and has written several books on how businesses respond to the climate crisis and in and, and different ways. He made a very good point, which I don't know if this will resonate with, with any of you, but he basically said, you know, a lot of businesses come into this space and they have to engage with sustainability because that's where the conversation is. And they're sort of flailing around and they're grabbing stuff and they're like, and this is where the, a lot of the greenwash problem comes into play because, you know, it's not authentic, it's not built, they, but they need to be part of it to survive. Do you have any sympathy with um, businesses getting it wrong, Tom? Yeah, I think there's, there's an honesty there. Absolutely. I mean, because uh, we often talk about it at work. There's a, sort of, there's a bravery to, you know, we're going to you know, solving problems, challenges. Some of them was talking about, uh, you know, Sam coming out with an amazing solution to a problem. So we're, we're being brave. And I think, um, you know, that... Um, that's great from a business point of view, from a personal point of view. It's also about being honest and saying, you know, listen, we're going into this new space and I'm having problems here. I'm finding it difficult. I'm ch it's a challenge and I haven't got it all worked out. But ultimately, it's also a bit about being hopeful and positive about the, the change that you believe and your team and your business believe uh, can, can see happen. So, yeah, I suppose if there's an honesty there, I am, I am sympathetic. But I think, it, you know, it's up to customers, communities uh, and people to really kind of interrogate whether that's, that's the honesty is there or not. How do you, um, so if you look at the fashion industry of which you are part of it, how do you... Um, feel about you know some it, it fast fashion dominates and you know there's a waste is a system of overproduction for overconsumption as far as I'm concerned I think there's quite a lot of evidence to back that up how do you um separate yourself from it and how how separate do you think you are from that system so you've had to forge a different way quite a lot of the time and build your own sort of system around it or how do you separate yourself um, that's a good question. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't say we, we, it's sort of 
you know, the, our sort of design ethos, circularity that we try and bring into our products and our, and our, um, in our ranges, which is, you know, is at certain stages it's then certain parts of the range and other stages it isn't there, you know, so we're working all the time. Um, so we really kind of trying to address that in, in how we build and make products. Also how we talk to our customers as well, you know, if it's lived and loved or it's repairs or whatever it is, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's all about kind of bit forging your own path, uh, but also we know we, we often are on panels and do talks with uh, about this thing in more detail, as, as you know. Uh, and we, you know, we, we need to engage the industry to see, because there's also industry change that we need to um, hopefully be examples of what, what is possible. So, Do you think the industry, do you think that system can change? Um, I mean, it's, it's super hard work, you know, when you see... Uh, even, I think like Stefan was saying earlier, you know, it's been around for 20 or 30 years and still it's not changing. So there, you always find stories that I think are depressing and uh, you, you're thinking you're still behaving like that. Mm. And that's, but um, mm. I suppose, you know, like people on this panel, we're out for belief in what we can do, how we can affect change. And um, there's a really good um, diagram that I'd urge everyone to look at. It's called the emotional journey of doing anything really great. And if anybody here or on the panel is, you know, is affecting change and it sort of starts with, this is going to be a great idea. Oh, shit, this is not such a good idea. Oh, this is really difficult. And then you get in the swamp of despair. And when you're in there, it's like a really dark place to be. And I actually did, we did a talk at work and I, I photocopied it and put it around the, the, the workshop and people like put on there where they are. The thing is then if you're in the swamp, you will get through it and you come out the other side and you're like, oh, we're going to make it. And so, the, you know, all of, we're here because we, you know, we believe in change is possible, business, um, design, um, environmentalism, activism, all that sort of thing. And so it, it, we are all kind of, you know, we have to go through quite a tough emotional journey. Yeah. And, you know, you, there will, to your question, you will, there will be depressing times when, it, when you think, you know, is it worth it? But yeah. you yeah. kind of come back, you come out of the swamp, you build a bridge across the swamp to help people that haven't been in it across it, which hopefully what we're going to do here today, uh, and then you carry on. Very good. I <laughs> oh, really, you you look like you. I don't know. You were laughing when Tom mentioned the the, um, yeah, the swamp really of despair. Struck a chord, yes, <laughs> it struck a chord. Tell us more. I think it was a very honest reflection on these challenges that we can all face. And, and you, you described it so well, Tom. I mean, really seeing the opportunity for change and then realizing how big it is and then maybe shirking a bit at the shadow of this potential change that you see coming. But nonetheless, um, it's something that I think is evidenced really well here by the crew. And I think really something that we can challenge all of ourselves uh, to bring in and to really take that power, you know, to reference this creative destruction point earlier and to, to really see when you, when you do change a system, what is the power that's being disintegrated when that system itself disintegrates? And how, how can that be used as a catalyst for change in the future? What, what is the, to which extent does validity exist in certain, uh, in certain situations or certain status quo that we have today that can be used for something positive as we move ahead? You're working in a supply chain, which I imagine is a short supply chain, but a very old one. So um, how much um, leverage is there to change the system? Yeah, it's a great question. It definitely depends on the material that we're speaking about. So at Brightling, we're sourcing about 25,000 kilograms of stainless steel every year, for example, in the piece that I'm wearing today 
we sourced 300 kilograms of gold. So when you look at it, uh, prima facie, you may be like, okay, stainless steel, you know, is the way to go. Well, we are a uh, nano uh, demand for stainless steel in the over, uh, global overall global market, which is representing, obviously, I think it's 3% of global emissions. We didn't see a chance to have an impact there, to have a handprint. It's something that we need to work on, for sure, but it represents 70 tons of carbon emissions. Do we need to do something about that? Yes, of course. If we look at gold, where we're sourcing, again, just 300 kilograms every year, this is where we saw a chance to have a positive handprint. It's representing, depending on the type of gold that we are consuming, anywhere from 5,000 to 20,000 uh, tons of, of CO2 every year. So we made the decision to shift away from recycled gold to artis responsible, artisanally mined gold and working with the Swiss Better Gold Association to be the first brand to source 100% ethically produced gold. This, I know that this is a controversial topic and it's something that we're very upfront with in our recent sustainability report where we transparently talk about the carbon impact that this is going to have. Why do we do it? Not because of the carbon footprint, but because of the opportunity to have a positive carbon handprint. And I think, you know, you're speaking about impact. D removing negative impacts, yes. Having positive impacts, absolutely. So we really saw this as a chance to work with a very responsibly run mine from a social and environmental perspective and to further catalyze what they were already doing to further improve their environmental performance. What that concretely means is, for example, using our carbon fund to support carbon insetting measures directly at the mine site, for example, replacing power grids so that there's a reduced reliance on diesel generators, especially in the rainy season. But I, th I think to that end, yes, we have different areas where we can claim additionality, mm -hmm. where we can really say we have a substantial impact for a company that overall doesn't have a very big carbon exposure given the nature of our work. And this is, of course, only one of the metrics uh, that we consider in that regard, but, but really considering this footprint handprint option uh, that we can all look at as in considering our, our actions. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Sam, as somebody, you, you're a, you know, you're a, a product designer, you come up with solutions to stuff. Are you coming up with things all the time where you think, are you, are you going to bring out more products that you think will, will take the heat out of, I, I want to say consumerism, because that's what we're talking about, isn't it? And do you think that's possible? And have you ever said to yourself, oh, this product is just going to, on balance, this product's going to cause more problems than it solves? Like, how do you weigh all of that up? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, a, a very good question. Very difficult one to answer. I mean, ult ultimately, you know, the population is expanding. So, and and people need things. And so we sort of, I think, have to accept that. But in answer to your question regarding sort of um, creating and uh, creating products, yes, I, I love kind of creating products and I'm sort of, I'd say part of the business is, you know, we developed FlexiHex um, as a business and my, you know, I, I kind of have a tendency to sort of want to sort of take that into sort of so many different directions, but we're being very strategic in, in the sort of markets we're approaching, you know, we're in the drinks market. Then, then once you sort of tackle into that market, you're going, you're going to electronics and cosmetics and, um, but yes, it, it, it is something on, you know, on, on my mind around how, how we can, how we can kind of develop products for the future, which, which reduce, re reduce kind of further consumerism and further kind of like needs 
you know, through kind of how they're built or how they're kind of repurposed or how they're reused. And I think I think it, that is a big part in, in the sort of future consumerism is, is how we develop those products that we we know that products these days are they are built to last a certain amount of time. And then, you know, what what do those products then go? go where do they go? Um, so planned yeah. obsolescence. Yeah. As well. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I think we have capabilities to make obviously make products last a lot longer. And um, so. And do you ever think about designing whole systems? Because I'm just, you know, thinking about it must drive you nuts from a design point of view. So you see people pushing stuff out onto the market with absolutely no plan for how to collect it, recover it, recycle it, taking no responsibility, yeah. which is what extended producer responsibility legislation is supposed to be about. But you must see systems all the time and just think that's... It, yeah, I mean, as if, I mean, again, it's just, they're just huge questions around, you know, we, we started with a product and we thought, okay, cool, it's a paid product, it flexes and it puts, you can put it around some objects and like, okay, where do we get it made? Um, let's go and find some places to get it made. And you, you're quickly realizing that, you know, there's an incredibly kind of complex supply chain behind each product. And if you were to sort of design, you know, the product and and the, the supply chain behind that product, you know, from the very start, I think you'd find that most businesses would would wouldn't succeed because you have a very sort of you have a finite sort of like budget at the beginning. Um, usually, as a startup, a very small budget, and so you have to be realistic with how you use that budget. And if you're if you're designing the end-to-end -end process, then I think you you will be failing within the first couple of months, and it's that's the sort of reality I think of it. Yes, yeah, very uh, interesting point. Okay, Jim, oh, uh, a sort of similar area to, for you. What what are you gonna what's what's next? What are you gonna tackle next? Um, well, I think we've got to just make sure that we can evaluate this properly over a certain period of time because we just want to make sure that people are happy with it and that it that it's a product that works before we suddenly go and jump into into something else. I think our, our biggest thing was the fact that we didn't want to have our plastic lids anymore and we actually wanted to have go into aluminium. But we also understand um, that the production of aluminium does have a higher carbon footprint, but I'd much rather try and offset that at the beginning rather than have a problem at the end to deal with. So at the moment, we're looking into how we can essentially work that out and make that a lot better. Um, I think once we've got our B Corp status, that's going to be a really nice thing for us to have because it's not just about the product, it's about all of your supply chain, how your office runs, the people in your office, what they're mindful of. And then also we've got a, a little thing called the KYCU Academy, which is not, not actually like product related at all. It's, a, it's our strap line, which is keep your chin up. Uh, and it's about actually working with young people in our kind of local community to use. We've always been a really, really positive company like we've we keep your chin up has been at the heart of our stuff for, for years in fact it started even before we even started the company so we're using kind of positivity as a tool for young people to kind of give themselves um i don't know i, I guess like a a bit more self-confidence as it were so we've run a series of workshops with young kids about how to do presentation skills and how to um, just kind of better yourself, doing very, very, very simple things like how to, oh, you should hold a, hold a door open for people, how to do a decent handshake, how to look people in the eye when people are talking to you and stuff. And, and a lot of young kids are, feel like they're very sheltered and stuff because they're just living through social media and they're not actually out and about doing stuff. So running, running a load of those courses before COVID kicked in was actually really, really a lovely thing to do outside of the iced coffee game. And then COVID hit and we did a few online courses, but we're just about working on another set of 
it's um, kind of workshops with these young kids to go and do some fun stuff. So that's, I'm really looking forward to getting back into that realm. Yeah, that, that to, sounds really cool. Yeah. Oh, just to come in on that as well, I think it's interesting. We've sort of all touched upon it, but I think that sort of people and culture thing is also kind of like a huge part of kind of um, giving giving businesses uh, and empowering kind of um, employees within, the, within that business to kind of create change for themselves as well through kind of like better well-being, better working kind of spaces, more kind of, uh, yeah, time outside work as well. So. Is important, you know, yeah, and it's part of sustainability as well. Has anyone here considered, or would they consider, putting a cap on the amount of pro product that they produce, uh, and saying we can only produce this amount of product per year because of the carrying capacity of the Earth or planetary boundaries or whoever, however you want to quantify it? Um, so we actually have these things called uh, design principles. You know, who doesn't kind of we're not allowing any product to come to market that doesn't have a meaningful end-of-life solution. So first of all, it doesn't come out the design gates unless it actually ticks. We have a thing called a V-matrix. You have to get a minimum 80% score. It's a whole thing. But, um, but basically, we're doing it two ways. So one, nothing new can come out unless it solves an important environmental and ethical problem. That's the first and foremost big principle. Um, and then the second one is basically we're moving into, I'm not allowed to talk about this too much yet because it's still in the works, but basically moving to fully regenerative, biofabricated, 3D filament printed, personalized bespoke scan footwear so that we can keep it all in a closed loop system. So that's where we're putting, you know, all of our innovation, the R&D budget, and it's super exciting and we're going to launch them at the end of the year. So, Well, how, that, how would that work for me as a consumer so you go into the store or you get the app on your phone you kind of scan the dimensions of your foot we've got big database we're building at the moment they'll then go away and 3d print a uh, customized footwear and then as your foot goes more barefoot and your toes splay out and your foot becomes more flat which would happen if you're wearing them regularly no <laughs> i actually i actually wore a pair of yours oh to God. get here good um but kids, <laughs> they didn't go with my dress kids, for example this solves a really big problems with kids shoes because they bring them back so often so um, basically bring it back and we're going to create these hubs with the whole kind of lifestyle experience in different regions of the world and try and close that loop. Um, actually, just as an aside, I go to a boot camp where I live in, in Surbiton three times a week and Liam, who runs it, um, only lets people wear FIFO barefoot because he doesn't want to deal with anyone's foot problems. We definitely have a problem with people drinking the Kool-Aid for sure. <laughs> He's on one. You get, you get shouted at if you wear um, Spice Girl trainers, as he calls them. Um, Jim, you wanted to say something about putting a cap on products. Um, yeah, I think with with our product, we have to go through a retailer to sell our product. We can do stuff online, which is great. Um, but if you look at the the milk fixture where our product is, will be in a sea of other products. And as long as we know that our products are actually in one way, shape, or form better than the other products sat next to it, be it from a ingredient perspective or a packaging perspective then we will want to take shelf space from them because we know it's going to be a better offer. So yeah. for the likes of like M&S, who we're, we have a listing with, they are massively into, they've got a big plastic problem. Yeah. They're very much aware yeah. of that. And it's what's really, really lovely for us to see is when we actually go into their soft drinks fixture, which is Cokes, Fantas. I don't understand why they don't do cans. It's all plastic bottle. And we've actually reduced their, let's say there's 100 SKUs on their stock keeping units or products on the shelf. Now, six of them, which are ours, are not plastic. So they, they've, they, they're, we're doing them a little bit of a favor. And if we could just keep doing that and doing that and doing that, then that's great. So the cap would be once that's all ours um, in a 
in that kind of way, it makes sense. Obviously, that's not going to happen, but that's we we would like to continue growing so that we can do that. Yeah, all the all the plastic uh, sustainable packaging researchers are all doing projects for that retailer at the moment. I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think again, I'd second second what you're saying, Jimmy. Is is kind of like is it, it, it's you know if we if we if we put a cap on how much uh, like uh, FlexiX products we would make per year, then 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 all we're doing is just allowing kind of like the plastic industry to start uh, to carry on kind of like producing plastic solutions for for the bottle or the cosmetics market. So it's it's yeah, w the obviously idea is to replace you know and compete with in, in that space mm -hmm. um, against these inflatable kind of solutions which the plastic industry has used. Okay, brilliant. We're coming up to towards the end now and I'd like to ask a, a different question. Is anyone here involved in COP26 and do you think that anything will be achieved at COP26, Tom? Um, yes, we are involved in COP26. Um, Lawrence is here somewhere probably as uh, in... Um, been pulling that together. We had a, an amazing um, event at the time uh, G7 was on in Cornwall called C7, which is an ocean access training camp. And it was all about giving a voice and uh, using the brand as really to sort of facilitate um, everyday activism about encouraging people to be as radical as they can be. We heard from an amazing bunch of talkers about the seven key issues facing the oceans today. And it was all about starting your activist journey. So we are sort of taking that uh, and that sort of that um, thing we started at C7, taking it to COP26. Uh, and we've got a, in our Edinburgh store, we've got an ocean, um, it's called Ocean Mike, where people can, anyone can get up and talk about the things that, you know, that are important to them around COP26, around what's going on, all with, uh, with the kind of provisor of what's going on down the road. So uh, it's very much sort of a community voice piece uh, around, you know, using the brand and the store there to, to, to do that. So, yeah, I mean, what, uh, you know, as you were talking about earlier, what, what is going to be, what can we have described it, but it's really good, what COP26 is, but it was, you know, what is um, actually going to happen there? Uh, so we're, sort of, we're, we're doing all we can to, you know, for our community, for it to be a voice piece and effect change. But it's interesting that because you, you've got a shop in Edinburgh. Yeah. I don't know if you've got one in Glasgow. No. no, in Edinburgh. But, you know, everybody says that when you have um, a cop in your city and then you, the legacy of it is because all of the uh, suppliers have to go through the green um, procurement process, the whole area becomes very green focused on sustainability. Um, so you may find that your shop, it has it might become your most kind of greenest, I don't know how many outlets you have across the UK, because the legacy of the COP process just kind of keeps rippling outwards across, you know, all Scottish cities. Yeah. Uh, we, I mean, Edinburgh's actually quite a green city, actually. We have a lot of, yeah. do quite a lot of talks in the store we did before, before the pandemic. And uh, there's a really great B Corps community up there. There's quite a lot of academics there and stuff. And, um, and they use the space to, to, to talk about stuff like that. So hopefully, yeah. Um, anyone else? Anyone else going to be there, or doesn't know what it is, or care? You going to be there? Yeah, yeah, we'll be there. Yeah, we'll be there. Um, against my judgment. <laughs> yes. Well, why? You think it's just going to be a talking shop, or just don't think that we've like cleaned house enough to go there and tell other people what to do with theirs? There'll be plenty worse than you. <laughs> if it's any consolation. Yeah, I think I think my concern with these things, and I didn't, you know, I'm not going to stop things like that. As I said, we work in a decentralized matrix organization. I you know, there's no ability to override decision-making. If there's a consensus, then we go. Yeah. Um, I get concerned because that's a policy event. 
and and we have enough crap to deal with with the multi-stakeholder initiatives in business community. So I think if we're going to pay money to to support a campaign, then we should be trying to get brands together and trying to fix those problems that we have on our doorstep. But mm. you know, yeah. I still think it's extremely important and and a pivotal moment. You know, <laughs> yeah. Is it is possible to hold to uh, those those two opinions? Aurelia, will you will, will you? be there? Would you be watching? I, I hope that I'll be able to participate virtually. Uh, it's definitely something that I would like to do. And I know that a number of those that are associated with our brand will be there in order to have a platform and to share their message. And I'm really looking forward to, fingers crossed, uh, the outcome. Okay. Okay. And there we will, um, we'll probably leave it. So um, I just want to say a huge thank you to our panel for grappling with that question. <laughs> Um, which which was a really great provocation um, to Emma, to Tom, to Aurelia, to Sam, and to Jim. Thank you so much. Round of applause, please, for the panel. Thank you. Thank you. We hope that conversation's inspired you and given you some proper, actionable insight. Please look out for the next episode. And if you haven't signed up for the film versions, please visit the Blue Earth website at blueearthsummit.com. Earth Summit is happening from the 11th to the 13th of October 2022 in the great city of Bristol. We believe in the power of the outdoors to improve our health and further establish purpose-led business. Register your interest at blueearthsummit.com.